No You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping. Coming smooth. Jumping. And the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, joined to my right by my co-host, Graham Hall. And we are still here in Gainesville, but the Gators, they are getting ready for a road trip to Baton Rouge, Death Valley, trying to get their first win there since 2016 and prevent the Tigers from going on a three-game winning streak against the Gators. So a lot to preview on today's show. We'll be joined by Matt Mascana to get some perspective on the Tigers and what they've done this year, certainly not the season that they expected to have. So we'll kind of figure out what's going on in Baton Rouge. But Graham, let's talk about what's going on in Gainesville this week. How are you doing? It certainly is an exciting week in Gainesville, Zach, because the Gators are coming off of a victory. And even though, as we talked about on Monday, it wasn't the most enthusiastic win, at least Florida is not heading into that matchup against LSU, coming off of a loss. And any time I think that you go into Death Valley, there's going to be a lot of trouble, but especially against a team that kind of is kind of playing for their coach right now. Oh, yeah. This should tell you how cyclical college football is. Ed Orgeron was being discussed as a great mind, revitalized his career, and now, not even two years later, there are talks in Baton Rouge about him losing his job. So you talk about a team at 500 that may be playing at the midpoint of the season, for their head coach's life. I mean, I hate to use that cliche trap game, Zach, but there are some trap aspects of this one, and and that has kind of had me excited because there's no room to let your guard down or to look ahead, which is a bye week for this Florida team, and and you kind of know what can happen if you look ahead. Yeah, Coach O, I think, is starting to enter Gene Chizik territory here. And that's not where you want to be and doesn't happen often for a national championship winning coach. But what have you done for me lately is the motto and certainly in the SEC. But look, the Tigers came into this matchup last year reeling. They only brought 65 scholarship players, five under the 70 limit that you can take for road games because of all the injuries and opt-outs and transfers that they had heading into last year's matchup. Obviously found a way to pull off a huge upset in the Swamp and then coming into this matchup Saturday once again decimated by injuries. I think 15 total for the season, but specifically five defensive starters, two that we've learned of recently in Stingley and Eli Ricks, their starting cornerbacks. And then on the other side of the ball, they lose their starting receiver who leads the team in catches, receiving yards, and touchdowns. So this is a... Definitely kind of like the JV team that we're going to see on Saturday from LSU. I can't remember the last time we've seen this significant of a drop-off in talent on a team that just won. I mean, let's be honest, the last, I hate to say real, national championship, but the most recent one where a team had to play 15 games coming off of last season's 10-game conference-only schedule. This is such a huge downfall in my mind, for the Tigers. I I kind of wonder what went wrong. We saw promising quarterbacks transfer. Now we saw Miles Brennan before the season get hurt. You just don't think that, you don't get the sense, I guess, that 
they've taken advantage of a lot of the advantages that should come with winning the national championship. They really haven't ascended up the ladder of the SEC West like I thought they would. I mean, you're talking right now about Texas A&M being the team that beat Alabama out there in the West. It, It wasn't this LSU team. I just kind of wonder if it really was like they sacrificed everything in a sense to win that national championship because now you're seeing a team that and we've seen it be very similar I think here at Florida you're seeing a team that really is kind of suffering in the wake of massive expectations and a whole bunch of success not even two years ago and they had expectations coming into this season despite how bad last year was because of how they ended the year they get the win the upset in the swamp And then the next week, their final game of 2020, while the Gators were playing for the SEC championship, the Tigers won a shootout against Ole Miss. I think 53-48 was the final. And Max Johnson outperformed Matt Corral considerably. Five total touchdowns that he finished with, over 400 yards passing. Corral threw five interceptions. So... It looked like they had had some momentum gained going into the offseason, and then you just come into this year and lose a season opener to UCLA, and then it's just been all downhill from there with the injuries. But it is Florida LSU. It is a rivalry game, and anything can happen when these two teams have meet. The last five games that they've played, the underdog, the lower-ranked or unranked team has won four of those five matchups and obviously last year we we know what happened in the swamp so you kind of got to take the rankings and all of the lines and stuff and throw them out when these two teams meet although there is clearly an advantage for Florida when it comes to the health and depth of their team absolutely but I think much of the discussion this week wasn't about the injuries for both teams or the quarterbacks that we're going to be facing it's been how intense the rivalry has been over the last half decade yeah because when you factor that into a matchup like this a lot of that stuff goes out the window when emotions are prevalent and you can have tension which we saw really the last time in death valley pregame fights between coaches just it was an intense matchup I, i would think that nothing has really changed considering what happened to florida at the end of last season, kind of what they lost in that LSU game and then not having lived off that embarrassment entirely in the offseason, making really that game, I think, the the linch point for a lot of people saying, hey, the defense, are they going to improve? Are they they're undisciplined? We haven't seen that. We don't really give them the benefit of the doubt that they're going to improve in a non-COVID year like a lot of these other teams are getting. That game, I think, was a huge catalyst for a lot of that stuff. So when you talk about a rivalry matchup like this, you have to, I think, factor in the context of what has led us here. The Hurricanes, the, I mean, ADs talking in the media. It's been crazy the last few years. That stuff is a factor, and it's why I think Florida has to kind of look at this as like a Florida State-Georgia matchup. They kind of are like Florida State right now. A team that has some momentum coming off some wins, you know they're capable, but you can't really underestimate them and look at the talent because of the emotions that exist in the game. And because of those factors and the fact that LSU's won two games in a row in this rivalry, we say this a lot, we hear this a lot, but it does apply here. 
This is a must-win game for Florida. This is a must-win game for Dan Mullen. To be able to go into Death Valley and get a win, no matter where LSU is at as a program or as a ranked team, it is something that matters to Gator Nation, and it's something that he's yet to do. And then for the future of their season and what could be coming in the next few games and how certainly they could play out in terms of their bowl picture. Like, you need this. This game has to happen, and not because of the quality of the opponent, but just because of what you're staring at and how many more potentially opportunities you're going to get to impress all these folks that are going to be deciding on where the Gators are going to go play in the postseason. So there's not going to be many of those matchups left, but I think for what matters to these players, what matters to certainly this coaching staff, like, This is a game that they are trying to avenge from last year, and they do not want to take a three-game losing streak to this program. Yeah, absolutely not. And there was a time, I think it was kind of when we were growing up, where LSU just seemed to keep getting the better of the Gators, even though you could make the case that going into those games, the Gators had the advantage from a talent standpoint. So there's a historical reference to look at how you can't necessarily say that that is a plus for either team you know I know that we've talked so much about the rivalry and what it means I think to to Florida's players but when you talk about what's at stake for them the context of the season having sitting here now at 500 in SEC play and facing being two and three possibly if you lose this game which erases whatever may come from that Georgia game and well and then you could be looking at two and four Exactly. So I wonder what really is the focus. Are they looking at this as a redemption against a team that kind of embarrassed you last year and has been a contentious rivalry over the last five years? Or is Florida putting those emotions aside and saying, listen, we have to take care of business as usual. Look at this team as if maybe they're Alabama, the way that we've talked about preparing each week and go into that game that way rather than saying, oh, this is a team that wouldn't beat us if it wasn't for a shoe toss which you're never going to see again possibly in your life they only beat us because of a fluke play they can't go into it yeah thinking of it like that and Dan Mullen really was asked on the SEC coaches teleconference this week about the shoe toss it's been a topic of conversation but was basically asked is that being used as a talking point with your team this week and he did not like that completely shut it down I, I really don't even think that it's been addressed I don't think that it matters to this year's squad in, in terms of the context of it. I think the fact that they lost the game and it ruined their college football playoff chances. But I think more of what you mentioned, the, what they are trying to do to possibly keep their East hopes alive, but also because of how much this rivalry and this matchup matters to them this season and for this team, like going into the year before LSU got depleted with injuries and we knew what type of team that they were going to be. This was one of the games that was circled on the calendar for players, for fans. And at the end of the day, because you've lost that game to Kentucky, you got to get this W. So we're going to go to this first break. When we come back on the other side, we'll be joined by Matt to get some perspective on the Tigers and kind of how their season has played out to this point. <laughs> 
This is Gainesville Sun Sports Editor Arnold Feliciano. Please support our coverage of University of Florida Athletics by subscribing to the Gainesville Sun or Gatorsports.com. It's easy. Just go to www.gainesville.com slash subscribe now. Thank you for your support. USA Today's Florida Sports Network covers the Sunshine State better than anyone else. We have reporters and columnists covering Florida, Florida State, and Miami, the Dolphins, Jaguars, and Bucks. Like NASCAR, we've got you covered. We also provide the most comprehensive high school coverage available, and so much more. In fact, we have 17 news sites that encompass the state. Hi, I'm Tim Walters, host of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. Each week, this podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. From Pensacola to Jacksonville, to Palm Beach to Naples, and all points in between, we've got you covered. The State of Florida Sports Podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on any of our state news sites. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here. We're now joined by Matt Moscona from ESPN Baton Rouge to get some perspective on this Tigers team this season. Matt, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? What's up, fellas? I'm doing great. Thanks. Absolutely, man. Looking forward to Saturday's game. Before we get into that, Matt, I want to take you back to last year's matchup. Obviously, a thrilling game in the swamp. The Tigers were able to pull off the upset, get a much-needed win for Coach O and that team, and then they, they win a shootout at Old Miss the following week. What did those two wins kind of do for them going into the offseason and kind of setting expectations for this year? Oh, it was massive. I mean, LSU at that point was was three and five going into that Florida game. Uh, Eric Gilbert had opted out. Terrace Marshall had opted out. I mean, the, the, the program was unraveling. Uh, there was a lot of inner strife uh, based on what had happened the previous, you know, last summer with um, uh, the racial injustice. I mean, that had that really permeated the locker room as well. Uh, it was as toxic as I've ever seen it. And then LSU won that Florida game and they beat Ole Miss. And it kind of allowed the coaching staff to say, you see, we are still LSU. We can still do this. We can't. And, and they were able to re-recruit that roster. And I mean, LSU came into the season, guys, returning 20 of 22 starters. And the expectations around this place were right back where they usually are. Now, it obviously hasn't worked out, but the – but what that those two wins at the end of last year basically held this thing together uh, going into the offseason. You mentioned 20 and 22 starters returning. Expectations certainly had to be high there, but the season doesn't get off to the right start there for the Tigers with the loss at UCLA. Just what did that that start do for the program? Kind of how everything, I guess, say unraveled from there. What did that do to well, the program? Yeah, you got to keep in mind the context is that LSU after last season replaced both coordinators and six staff members. So Ed Ogeron turned over more than half of his staff. Mm. And the idea was, okay, some of those hires didn't work. You purged Bo Pelini and Scott Linehan and a lot of people in the program who were issues. And you went and you, you hired, you got younger, you got more diverse, you got more innovative. But the concern was... You know, when you hire a Jake Peets and a Durante Jones, those guys had never been coordinators. So, you know, you hired inexperienced guys. And the question was, you know, how was that going to work? 
And it was very clear from game one. If I was sitting in the Rose Bowl and Chip Kelly flat out schemed Durante Jones. And you realize, man, all the talent in the world, if you're not in the right place, it ain't going to go well. And LSU's deficiencies were exposed on the offensive and defensive line. And you've seen that continue. I mean, it ain't the NFL. You can't just go get new players from from week to week. You got what you got. And this LSU team has some very obvious holes in their roster, deficiencies, and that those have been exposed. They were exposed this last weekend by Kentucky, and I suspect they're going to be exposed this coming Saturday against Florida. When you mentioned those deficiencies, do you think it was harder for this program to capitalize on some of the advantages that you would get winning a national championship considering the next year was the COVID year with all the opt-outs, everything else? Did that really, I think, derail the program as much as I think the outside kind of thinks it did? I think that's certainly a part of it. Um, you know, something that, you know, if you consider this, because COVID hit in March, um, you know, just after signing day, um, you know, and the shutdown happened, that entire recruiting cycle, LSU was never able to bring recruits in to, to see the championship trophies and Joe <laughs> Burrow's Heisman. And I mean, no one, like, they basically recruited sight unseen. They recruited yeah. via Zoom. I mean, every, everybody did, but LSU didn't have the benefit of, of using all the collateral from 2019. Um, you know, but really, it, that, that's not what caused this thing to unravel. It, it, it's Ed Ogeron's inability to identify and hire good assistant coaches. It's Ed Ogeron's mismanagement of the roster. It's, it, it's his personality, which created among his staff and team division during the racial injustice stuff. It, it, he's just, he's what everyone thought he was when this hire was made. He's, he's a guy that when things are going well, he can be an energy guy and he can like in 2019, he can be sort of the mascot, but he's a guy that doesn't deal well in stressful situations. He, he, he regresses and it's just obvious time and again, that, that a change is inevitable. It's going to happen. And it's, it, it needs to happen. And, and it's because Ed Ogeron's not made for a job like this. Final two questions for you, Matt. You mentioned Saturday's matchup. Obviously, the Tigers have a lot working against them. What can they do from your standpoint to, to try and make this a competitive game? And, and how do you see this playing out? It's, I guess we, considering we all watched last year where Florida was just, just a much better team than LSU and LSU managed to pull the upset, it, it's hard to say ever really in college football that you have no shot. Um, that's, that's naive. I mean, it's still LSU with a talented team, but keep in mind, man, no, no Elias Ricks, no Derek Stingley. I mean, LSU's lost five starters on their defensive side of the ball. Found out this week, Kayshawn Butte's done for the year. You know, they're dynamic wide receiver. It's just, they're, you know, they weren't very good at the beginning of the season. Now they're a shell of what they were then. Um, you know, if LSU is going to have a chance in this game, you know, they're, their blueprint is going to be the same in every game they play. Um, they're going to have to load up the box to try to stop the run because they don't have the personnel to win one-on-one. So they got to commit to stop the run with numbers and hope that their, their guys can cover. Now, if you have Derek Stingley and Elias Ricks, you like that matchup much better. When you don't, it's not quite as, as favorable. And then offensively, LSU's offensive line has just been a sieve this year. They've just not been a good unit. And LSU struggled to run the ball. So they have relied – 
on the big play through the air to move the football. And they have great receivers. There's no doubt it's, it is the most talented uh, group on this LSU team is their receivers. And they can make big plays, but it's going to have to be, man, Emory Jones throws a couple of picks. You know, LSU wins the turnover battle three to nothing, something like that, gets a couple of big plays. I mean, it's, that's going to have to be the recipe because if it's just a, a clean game without turnovers or penalties, I, I just don't know how LSU wins this game. Florida's just they're, they're better coached. They got better personnel right now. Um, and, and guys, also 11 a.m. in Tiger Stadium. I mean, I, I don't think you have seventy thousand butts in seats to watch this game. Yeah, especially given the the last two weeks. And final thing for you, Matt. You obviously given your kind of your expectations for Coach O. Whenever this thing inevitably happens, what direction do you expect them to go and, and who are some candidates that you have in mind at this point? Well, Scott Woodward, uh, LSU's athletic director, he is a big game hunter. I mean, when he was at Washington, he hired Chris Peterson away from Boise. When he was at A&M, he hired Jimbo Fisher. I mean, even since he's been at LSU, he went and hired Kim Mulkey away from Baylor. He he swings for the upper decks, man. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you you better believe that that he's going to take he's going to take his cuts at at some big names, um, you know what names those are. Is some leak out? I mean, I've heard a couple of names like Lane Kiffin and Bill O'Brien. Um, heard others like Luke Fickle at Cincinnati and James Franklin at Penn State. Um, you know, it's it's going to be interesting uh, to see what other names might creep in. But the thing I'll tell y'all is Scott Woodward is a smart, tactful guy. And he is usually a hundred miles ahead of the story. So while we're just sitting here talking about names, my guess is Scott is so far down the road of vetting candidates that are interested, how much it would cost pulling together money for a buyout and a potential coach's contract. He's, he's just, this isn't going to be a thing like with Joe Oliva and Les Miles where Les is floating in the wind wondering if he's going to be fired and then they start this big long search and it's a disaster and ends up on the defensive line coach. It just it's it's not going to end like that. It's um, you actually have a, a real legit, legitimate athletic director in place who, who knows what he's doing. And it's it'll be interesting to see what uh, what kind of fish Scott Woodward can uh, can reel in. Absolutely. Well, Matt, we were, we were lucky to reel you in today. Appreciate the time, man, and perspective as always. Good to hear from you, and uh, we'll see you in Baton Rouge this weekend. My pleasure, you guys. Thanks. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Nealon, but I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Got to go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here. Appreciate Matt for joining us and giving yeah. us some perspective on the Tigers and kind of where they're at as a team heading into this matchup. And for Florida, a lot to look forward to in this game. We want to see how this team is going to fare after 
going on the road for the first time in the SEC and suffering a loss at Kentucky. And Graham and I are going to get into our X factors now before we give our prediction for Saturday. And my first X factor, to no one's surprise, on the offensive side of the ball is the offensive line and more specifically how they handle the crowd noise, how they handle not having any false starts and just dealing with another road environment better than they did the first time around. Yeah, I think a lot of this stuff should be business as usual type things because at this point, I think you can make the case that the Kentucky game is an outlier for this Florida offensive line. A lot of that isn't due to a lack of talent, technique, coaching, preparation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I think you can just say that the crowd noise did have a huge effect. And so making sure that that is not a factor, absolutely, I'm with you. Mine is one as well that's kind of business as usual for this team. Well, I just want to say also before you get into that, I'm curious to see what they do from a snap count that's, standpoint. That's true. Like our, I, I would not expect them to come out there and do the claps. I think maybe we'll see it at some point. Maybe when they, they uh, get up on a big lead and, and kind of quiet the stadium, they can get to that. But I do think we're going to see something different from them. And, you know, that could be kind of like a, a fake count in a sense where you're attempting to get yeah. LSU to jump off. You've already put that on film so much. You That's know, you might as point. well take advantage of that preparation still rather than just tossing it out the window. When it comes to business as usual, like I was saying, this rushing attack has just been so dominant for Florida that the way LSU is banged up and, and the way that they kind of have just been middle of the pack defensively this season there's no excuse in my mind for Florida to not just control the time of possession and establish the run consistently we saw what this unit could do last week without Malik Davis kind of like I don't want to call him necessarily the leader in that backfield but just a guy that I mean he's the the oldest guy in the, room, the one that sure. is probably I think most respected and that's not a shot at Damian Pierce or anyone else but they've seen what Malik Davis has gone through and he established himself as a true freshman, which honestly, I don't think any of those other running backs can really say that. So seeing what he has done, I think they have a newfound type of respect just for that type of guy, seeing how hard that is. But I think this is a game that Damian Pierce is dominant on Saturday. I don't know if it's going to be Malik Davis. And and we just kind of had the Naquan Wright show last weekend. I think Damian Pierce is going to be your bruiser who's going to run between the tackles consistently for you on Saturday and just pick up chunks of yardage, get first downs, wear down this LSU defense so that Florida can really kind of just control the second half through that rushing attack. We've seen Florida have 3,000 offensive yards through six games this season. A lot of that is a credit to what they've done in the backfield. I think you see that again on Saturday. That's got to be an X factor. Absolutely. And then looking over to the defensive side of the ball, Max Johnson in his first career start on the road in the swamp at night looked really good against the Gators last year. And then the following week, he had the game of his life against Ole Miss. He has had an up and down, I think, season so far, given everything that LSU's gone through. But he is ranked second in the SEC in passing touchdowns, and he has just five less passing yards than Alabama's Bryce Young. So the kid is talented, obviously, the son of former NFL quarterback Brad Johnson. So I think coming into this game for Florida, looking to continue to improve in their secondary and make the strides that they've shown this season, this is another opportunity for them to show that they've gotten better from 2020 to 2021. Now, they did it last week against Ken Seals. He had over 300 yards passing against the Gators as a true freshman in 2020. And then last Saturday, 
couldn't even go over 200 yards and was picked off twice, sacked three times, just a completely different performance against a really different secondary as well. So with that unit going out there once again on Saturday on the road, you should be having Kyrie Elam back. I think it's important for them to continue to show that that progress, not give up that passing production to Max Johnson and maybe try to get some interceptions and just get to him in terms of their coverage sacks. I don't think Florida has really faced an elite quarterback yet, although you can make the argument that Bryce Young was pretty close right there, although Florida did get him in his just third uh, game as the starter there with the Crimson Tide. Max Johnson's certainly capable, like you said. I I think he is going to He's capable of getting rid of the football. He's going to get his at times. The key for this Florida defense, in my mind, the X factor for them is not letting those eight-yard slants, dump-offs, handoffs that that you look like you have wrapped up in the backfield. Don't let them go for massive chunks of yardage. Limit the big plays on Saturday is my X factor. And whether that's blown coverages in the secondary, missed tackles, you name it, the Gators can't let easy plays turn into first downs or touchdowns on Saturday. That's been a huge problem for this team at times. We remember the Tennessee game, although we sound, I think, a little bit prophetic now with our praise for Hendon Hooker after that game. Clearly, he has some talent there, but they can't let the Tigers get some easy scores on Saturday because it's just going to erase any momentum, any progress that both sides of the football that the Gators have made on both sides of the football. So I think that's huge for Florida to limit the big plays. That's my defensive X factor on Saturday. And it's prediction time from Graham and I as we look at this matchup. Neither of us predicted the shutout last week, although uh, the Gators were able to pull it off. Don't expect that to happen on Saturday. You're going to see LSU, despite their injuries, despite what they've gone through, they're still talented. They're going to find a way to have some success. I'm interested to see how often they can score and how much points they do put up. But I do think, as Graham mentioned, that Ford is going to be able to come out and establish the run, control the time of possession, and just control the flow of this game. And the Gators are listed as 11-point favorites, 10.5-point favorites. The over-under for this matchup is 58.5 points. I don't expect that many to be scored unless the Gators really run away with this matchup and maybe they can but uh, my prediction for this game is going to be 38 to 17 which is still a pretty comfortable win for Florida Uh, but I do think that it is going to be competitive to a degree or maybe at least close early on before Florida just gets enough of an advantage that they can keep I'm right there with you I think that Florida is going to come out hot establish the run early and then just kind of leave LSU playing catch up uh, with the late morning kickoff there on Saturday. I think we've said it a lot that this game would be entirely different if it was a night game in Death Valley, one of the hardest places to play, if not the hardest place to play on the road in the SEC. Not a shot at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, obviously, but I'm still going with Florida coming out with the three touchdown victory. I'm going 35 to 13, just under 50 points in my mind. I do think LSU gets a touchdown. Give them some credit for the offensive firepower that they do have, even though they're missing their top wide receiver. I think they are going to get one, but I think that Florida's backfield is going to win the game on Saturday for the Gators. And Graham, you mentioned that 11 a.m. kick local time. Certainly the Gators locked out there with that because you are going to get, I think, a packed Death Valley and you're going to have the fans come out because this is a rivalry game and, and have it loud, but the offensive line in that Florida 
offense is not going to face the same type of environment, the same type of crowd noise that they would have had this been a night game. So that is something that's going to work out in Florida's favor. But nonetheless, this is going to be a test for them. And we are going to really see for the first time if they've resolved their offensive line issues and can go out there and just play a clean football game. And like I mentioned in the first segment, regardless of how LSU season has played out and the fact that they're unranked, if you're Florida, if you go out there and you get a comfortable, sizable win, this is something to come back home and be excited about. You don't get to go to Baton Rouge and Death Valley often and get a win. So for Florida, they haven't done it since 2016. It's been five years, and I think it's time for the Gators to end that streak. I think so, too, and you don't need to remind this team of what can happen with self-inflicted wounds. Dan Mullen said it's not even a talking point in that locker room, like you noted, and it really shouldn't be because it'd be one thing if the man who committed that egregious error that they like to call it was back on Saturday and this was his return against the team but this is a a different locker room and they've moved past that I I think you see Florida establish themselves in Death Valley with a pretty decisive victory on Saturday so we're looking forward to seeing how it all plays out make sure you guys stay tuned to GatorSports.com for all of our coverage there is a bye week next week so we will take a break from the pods but we'll have plenty of coverage despite no press conferences from the players and coaches and then we'll be joined back with you guys to get you ready for Florida Georgia week the world's largest outdoor cocktail party cannot wait for it to get here as well as Halloween too I'm ready for some trick-or-treating oh let's go I need some candy you got your costume picked out I don't I don't I think I'm gonna be something from squid game so I can just you know wear a nice (laughs) little sweater and some sweatpants my daughter wants me to be a witch oh that's telling so yeah maybe I'll be a scarecrow she's got you figured out it's a good choice Absolutely. Well, everyone enjoy the game on Saturday. Again, stay tuned to GatorSports.com for all of our coverage. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Albaverde.